in my early 20s to have success, I started becoming aware that I would often shit on myself. I can't do this. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good at this. You know, I'm not good at chemistry. I'm too young. I'm too old. These self-imposed limitations, they're instructions for how we are to be. And that's the sad part. And so if you think about it, you know, scientists measure roughly 70,000 thoughts a day that are happening in your head. Depending on how many words are in your sentence, you're probably using about a half a million, maybe six or 700,000 individual words a day. And I believe that all limitation comes from the words that we choose. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm your host, Alan Draper. Very excited about our guest today. Today, I would like to welcome to the show, Chris Crone. Chris is a big hitter, folks. You're going to want to listen to this episode in its entirety. Chris is a real estate and business expert. He's a best-selling author and breakthrough mentor who empowers people to achieve epic results in their health, wealth, relationships, and personal power. That's crazy. Check out a few fun facts about Chris. Chris has transacted over $2 billion in real estate and is approaching 6,000 transactions. Chris is a retired millionaire age 26 through real estate investing, and he loves to share how he has created his wealth. Welcome to the show, Chris. Glad to have you. Alan, appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. I had you on my show just not too long ago and you crushed yep. it. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to be here and see if we can add some value. I appreciate that. You know, you have such an interesting story and you, you have such influence. And I know that term gets thrown around quite a bit. I want to hear your thoughts about what you think influence is and how somebody gets to a point where they have influence in the lives of others. Influence, man. You know, right now, the millions of people that are watching me on social every single week, I often ask them, like, why are they watching me? And I'm like, well, at the end of the day, if you don't take a stand and have an opinion on something, then you're probably not worth someone listening to. I mean, for the most part, influence kind of means you're polarizing. It doesn't always mean that you're nice, but it hmm. means that you're taking a stand, that you have an opinion. And there are insights I think that some people value and some people hate. I'm, there's plenty of people that, you know, I've got some strong opinions or some things that I share with people that, you know, I, I tell people, hey, you should plan on living 140 years old and why not be a billionaire? And there's a process for how you can do that. And why can't you have balance? And why on earth do you like, you know, honor this whole idea that you're so busy that you can't get it together and find balance in your life? You know, there's a lot of different thoughts that I share with people that, yeah, upset some people, but then I think inspire other people to say, you know what? I got to give that some thought and see if I can use that to level up my life. You know, what I've learned is that when with haters or with people that bring negativity, a lot of times it says more about them than it does about the person that they're bringing that negativity to. And I think a lot of it has to do with self-imposed limitations. Like a lot of people would think that you saying that, hey, why shouldn't everybody be a billionaire? Why shouldn't you be a billionaire or whatever? A lot of people would think that's offensive, right? Yeah. Like, hey, people, there shouldn't be billionaires. There shouldn't be, you know, these types of people, even though they add immense amounts of value to the world. What is it that, you know, has helped you to kind of break through certain paradigms in your life 
change your mentality and just kind of gain power over it so that you don't have those types of limiting beliefs. Yeah. So first of all, I'm, I'm just a lifelong student, right? I love learning. I believe that if you're not growing, you're dying. Most people, they're not growing. The average person after college will not read more than two books for the rest of their life. I do that like every week. And so I'm just a voracious student of life. Everyone gets to be kind of who they are. But I did get to a point where I realized that my own limitations were self-imposed. They were holding me back. The victimhood in us doesn't want to recognize that. And it kind of, you know, comes from childhood, right? My, mm. I had a brother that molested two of my sisters and Goodness. that was, that was really rough on our family dynamics. And my, I don't think my family ever healed from it. It was really, really hard. And when I kind of look at how that hurt the family, I look at some of the limitations that I kind of walk away with and I'm like, wow, my thoughts for my reality, what I think about, I'm going to bring about. And so I need to become really careful what I'm thinking about. And in my early twenties to have success, I started becoming aware that I would often shit on myself. I can't do this. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good at this. You know, I'm not good at chemistry. I'm too young. I'm too old. These self-imposed limitations, they're instructions for how we are to be. And that's the sad part. And so if you think about it, you know, scientists measure roughly 70,000 thoughts a day that are happening in your head. Depending on how many words are in your sentence, you're probably using about a half a million, maybe six or 700,000 individual words a day. And hmm. I believe that all limitation comes from the words that we choose. So if you use the word hate as a building block, like once upon a time, I would say, when I got frustrated enough, I would say, I hate my life. Hmm. Well, when I would say, I hate my life. I got news for you. The rest of the day did not go better. The rest of the day ended up getting worse. I started looking for evidence on why I hated my life or why it was a bad day. And there was this moment when I came home, my wife's like, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I hate my life. And she looked at me and she gave me this stern, how dare you look like, excuse me, I'm your wife and you hate your life. And it was in that moment that my awareness expanded and I realized how inappropriate that was. But up until that point, I was not conscious to it. I was just like, oh, that's just a building block. That's a way to express how I feel about something. Same thing like I'm having a bad day, right? There's a lot of people that will just tell you I'm having good days or bad days. The moment you decide you're having a bad day, the day gets worse and you start collecting more evidence that it's getting worse. Well, that's true of all words. They're either a positive vibration, they're a negative vibration. So limiting beliefs is nothing more than believing in phrases that limit you. And they're all self-imposed. And so if people want to achieve their best life, their highest and best life and figure out, wow, can you really have it all? Can you have like the healthiest body or the strongest marriage or the greatest business or diversify your assets, see success across the board, be a spiritual human being? That takes self-belief. Believing in yourself requires you to string a series of words together that empower you and cause you to feel good. Most people don't get this, Alan. Most people are comfortable all day long using a combination of good words and bad words. And if all of them had a point structure, positive word plus one, negative word minus one, most people are going nowhere in life. Negative one plus one plus one, negative one, negative one, negative one, plus one plus one, negative one. It's just like, wow, all the positive and negatives, it's all adding up and people can't figure out why aren't I getting where I want to go? Why don't I have momentum? Why aren't I loving my life? And it's like, well, it does start, like you said, with these self-imposed limiting beliefs and they express in the form of words. I mean, that's fantastic. Part of the issue is you have to grow as an individual to get to the point where you realize that everything that he just said is true. And I remember when I first started down this journey, Chris, I used to think like that it was all wishy-washy, feel-goody, voodoo, woo -woo, like nonsense. Right? Woo-woo. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, just the other day, so back when I, I used to practice law, 
man, I didn't like Mondays. Mondays were not my day, right? And I think that's true for a lot of people. And then I started creating a couple of businesses and I changed my perspective on Mondays. And just the other day, yesterday, Monday, I walk into the gym. One of my buddies I see, I slap him on the back. He's like, how you doing, Alan? I said, I'm doing awesome, man. I freaking love Mondays. Yeah. And he's like, this confusion came over his face, you know? And I could tell like he was confused by that. He has kind of a nine to five. And I'm like, Mondays give us a chance to start over, fresh start, just like a new year, but it's a new week and kind of, and, <laughs> and everything that kind of I've done didn't change my perspective. Yeah. It was me that kind of had to dig deep to find that. So here's the strange thing about, you know, the people that are at a place in our life where they're skeptical. I think we all, for the most part, to some extent, start there. I contracted mono, you know, when I was a teenager. And I had it for a decade of my adulthood. And mono for me meant that every fifth or sixth week, I would get sick. And I'd be sick for about a week. So for a a decade, every fifth or sixth week, I was out for a week. And if I didn't lay in bed all week and tried to prematurely get up, I would get the shakes. My temperature would drop three or four degrees. I could vomit, chills. And so the symptoms were very real. And I remember getting to a place in my life where I said, you know, this doesn't serve me. And yet when I asked the doctors, they say, this is a condition that will be with you forever. And I got to a point where I just said, okay, well, I've actually used the power of my mind to heal parts of my body before. And I made a decision that moment. I said, I'm never going to be sick again. I'm never going to express mono ever again. And this happened in 2010, like 13 years ago, where I had this moment where it started to come on and I could feel it. And I said, no, and it went away and it's never come back since. And I've been sick once in the last three years. So I still get sick, but it's so infrequent. And it's because I understand the power of the mind. For just a moment, pay attention to this. We say to ourselves, when we wake up in the morning and our throat starts to hurt, we say, I think I'm getting sick. Now, by the Mm -hmm. way, that's an instruction. I think (laughs) I'm getting sick is an instruction. Two hours later, when you feel more symptoms, you say, I am sick. And then Mm. this is the crazy part, Alan. In my events, I will ask people, when you get sick, how many days do you get sick? Is it five days for you? Is it two days? Is it one day? Like, Alan, when you get sick, how long are you sick? Just what's your intuitive number? When you're sick, it's usually going to last how long-ish? Day, half, two days. So here's what happens. Alan feels a cough in his throat. He's like, I think I'm getting sick. It's an instruction. His body's like, aye, aye, captain, let's get sick. Two hours (laughs) later, bigger symptoms. Now Alan says, I am sick. The one day clock starts. For that whole day, he's sick. After one day, his brain says, you know, when we get sick, we really don't stay sick longer than today. So Mm -hmm. he starts to say, I need to get better. So all of a sudden, what happens? Oh, yeah, that's an instruction. Aye, aye, Captain, time to get better. And then all of a sudden, the symptoms diminish. And then he says, I think I'm getting better. And it's the next instruction. Aye, aye, Captain. And then the body says, it's time to be well again. I have reversed sickness so many times that when that choke comes up and, and instead of the thought, I think I'm getting sick, I say, Cut that out. I am whole. I am well. And two hours later, Mm. symptoms are entirely gone. So what is it really woo-woo or is it the placebo of the mind? And I don't know if the answer really matters. You know, if you you study Joe Dispenza, placebo of the mind, we are so powerful. Placebo is scientifically real. In placebo sugar pills, 72% of the time they can heal a person with a sugar pill than Mm. with an actual pill. And all it goes to show is that our mind is just waiting for evidence to believe in something which is what makes me and you really good coaches. When we go into people's world, if we can convince them to believe something that they don't and they can lean on our faith a little bit, then all of a sudden the shift begins and then they start being able to produce results that they couldn't before. How'd they do it? They just needed someone that believed in them 
It's no different than a sugar pill. It's no different than believing in yourself. And all of that starts with language. That's incredible. I'm learning this about you, Chris. You're a raw guy. And I mean that as a compliment where, I mean, you shared about something very sensitive about your family. You've shared this about your health when you were younger. I think that's what makes you special in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of things that make you special. What type of person does it take to get to that level? Because I think people that are self-concerned, you know, they're nervous talking about themselves, sharing those things. What point did you realize, hey, man, I can share the good, but I can share the bad. I can share what I learned from. I can share all these things with people so that they can relate to me on a personal level. So I found myself years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, I found myself in a training program. And as I looked around the room, the people looked pretty messed up, right? This this cross cut of humanity was like, this is a pretty messed up group of people. I don't belong here. I'm young. I'm successful. I've got things figured out. I'm healthy. And so I have this very unteachable energy. And I was like, oh, I'm just here to take notes and learn from the facilitator. The content itself doesn't really matter. My ego was freaking through the roof. And on the third day of this event, they huddled everyone up in small groups and they did feedback circles. And my group, people I didn't know, basically each took turns standing in front of me and gave me feedback. And the feedback was the same. You're a steamroller. You don't really care about people. You are into your own success and self-significance. And it went on and on and on. And by the end, I was just bawling because I felt like I was such an asshole. I felt like I was such a jerk. And in that moment, I realized, geez, I have an authenticity problem. I thought I was really good at portraying myself in a way to put my best foot forward so that people would like me and they saw right through it and they didn't. And it started this journey of what is authenticity? And it started peeling off these masks where I realized that being a people pleaser is a liar. Being a people pleaser is someone that says things to be liked by other people instead of telling you who they really are. And it was about a decade of really consistent work at this before I woke up one day and I felt maskless. And I was like, wow. I feel like I can share the good or the bad or what you call the raw and just keep it real. And these days, if you want to get together and talk about the weather, I'm out. If we can't talk about something real, I don't want to talk at all. Like connecting on life as it really is, it's one of my standards. So as far as like, how does a person get there? We use a different word. It's called vulnerability. And it's a scary word because we think that it means that we're going to reveal our flaws and we're afraid of not being liked. But my experience, the other thing happens. When you're real enough to represent who you actually are instead of how you want to be perceived, that's when people, for most part, have an increase in respect. And that's where they say, wow. And why do they respect us? Because so few people can do it. It's actually a superpower, vulnerability. And so, you know, you asked earlier, what makes someone an influencer? I think actually vulnerability is what I look for in most influencers because I just want to know that they're being real. And that means that they don't just tell me the good and sugarcoat. They'll also tell me what went wrong. They'll also, you know, tell me about the bad. And now it's like, wow, I feel like I'm getting the real person. Thank you for letting me meet the who you really are. And now I can really evaluate and assess and figure out, wow, you are someone I actually really genuinely want to connect with. You know, through my journey with podcasting and what I'm trying to do on social media, I got to the point where, and this may sound obvious to you or to, to others, but I got to the point where I realized that it wasn't about me. My podcast, that my social media, it wasn't about me, that people, they would follow or they would listen for them. And then I kind of connected the dots and I was thinking, well, you know, success is something that I really enjoy. I love it, right? It feels great. But where I really grow is through my failures, you know, coming up short, things like that. And so connecting those two dots, if people follow my social media, they listen to my podcast, 
for them. And I want them to be able to grow. I need to be more vulnerable. As you said, I need to be able to share with them my flaws, my mistakes, my failures, not in a way that I'm complaining or griping or, you know, trying to bring people down, but in a way that they can learn, they can apply that to their lives. Like, Hey, maybe I'm going to take a lesson from Alan. I'm going to take a lesson from Chris and add that to what I'm doing. And maybe I can avoid those, you know, pitfalls. Well, and here's two versions of Chris Crone. Hey, my name is Chris Crone. I've transacted over $2 billion of real estate and I own hundreds of business and I'm this close to becoming a billionaire. And then you compare that to, oh yeah, I, I'll, let me tell you about the time I was about to go bankrupt and lose everything. I burned my sales floor down to the ground. And in 2009, I went under an F- investigation with the SEC where they absolutely crushed my reputation before I had any social media. And it was one of the most humiliating things that I've ever been through. It's like, who do you want to learn from? Do you want to learn from the guy that only knows how to tell you all the wonderful parts of his resume or the person that says, well, actually, if this is for you and not for me, then I think there's greater wisdom sometimes in learning from faults and mistakes than just the things that went well. Bottom line is just about being more real. 100%. Now, a big contingency of our audience are folks that are just starting their first business. They're entrepreneurs. They're looking to start a business, start developing their wealth. You just shared an experience, bankruptcy, you know, those issues in 2009. And entrepreneurs, we go through all sorts of issues. It's much harder than I thought, but it's also much, much more rewarding than I had anticipated. How did you dig deep? What were the things that kind of kept you going when a lot of other people would have just quit? What was it about Chris at that moment that allowed him to kind of just dig deep and find something in himself to keep going? You know, 2009, when, when the SEC did come in to do an investigation, they, they did a 14 month investigation. I was an emotional wreck that year. I had not done any emotional fortification training. And so I wasn't really prepared for how mentally and emotionally hard that was going to be. And when I came out of that experience, my commitment was to develop skills that were muscling, like just like muscles that you build at a gym. And so I hired some breakthrough coaches that started working with me to go next level deeper on training. What is emotional intelligence? What is, you know, emotional fortification, you know, and how do you perform versions of belief breakthrough where you can face and overcome, you know, these limitations. And so I basically went into a very, very training program. And the, the irony is that for a total different scenario, unrelated to a company I worked with for a couple of months called Green, I went under an SEC. I was part of an SEC investigation again. And that experience was not just a breeze. It never got under my skin once because of the training hmm. that was there. And the outcome was also significantly better because I didn't allow myself to get to become a wreck, you know, through that whole process. So the point is that they're skills and those skills are developable. And I think that's one of the big causes why people should at some point get, you know, involved in personal development. This whole idea of how do I develop me as a person? Where am I weak and where do I want to become stronger? But there was one other thing that really kind of gave me some staying power through the harder times, which is I believe in track record, Alan. And it's this Mm. idea that if the very first real estate deal I had done, I lost 30 grand, how does my track record look so far? Yeah, not great. It looks pretty awful. (laughs) But then I did a second deal and I only lost $10,000. How does my my track record look right now? Getting better. Yeah, getting better, but still (laughs) smells pretty bad. bad. Well, I've been living the opposite. For the most part, it's win, 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 win. And when people fail, this is what they don't understand. Their venture didn't fail. Their heart failed them. And the moment you self-identify as a failure, unfortunately, it's so easy and so prevalent. I think it's the number one killer of entrepreneurship. When you identify an effort as a failure, and then you put it on your soul and say, I, not the, the business failed, 
I am the failure. I failed. Then what you're doing is you're losing faith and confidence in yourself and you're not going to get back up again. You're not going to try again. So the most dangerous thing that you can do is take an external issue and then try to hardwire it to your soul. And I call this identity confusion or identity crisis. It's like my experience failed. I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. You were running your business. Your business failed and you're never failing if you're learning. And so anytime Mm. someone's like, I failed, I'm like, no, 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 no. You can always get back up again. What did you learn? And when we say we're a failure, that is an obstinate refusal to grab the lesson. But if we can go back Mm. and get the lesson, we can lift the failure and then we can try again. So as far as like keep going goes, I think that the reason why I have an easy time facing some of my own adversities and challenges and in some of the growth games of business is that I'll never take what's happening externally and reflect internally as a problem with my soul. It's incredible just the way that you speak to yourself, right? I think that's a great example for aspiring entrepreneurs. Give me one piece of advice. There's a young individual, 25 years old, just started a family. They want to hang a shingle. They want to start a business. Any industry, what do you tell them, Chris? You know, everyone's always looking for a tactical advice, and I'll give you one because I've got a great piece of tactical advice, but I don't think it's nearly as important as what you put in your head. For just a moment, I want you to think about athletes that perform at the highest level or think of Olympians. You understand that their training regiment is not just physical, but it's mental. Michael Phelps can only spend so many hours in the pool, and yet he wants to keep training. Harvard produced this study, actually with Stanford. They produced a study, and what they did is they took their college basketball team, and in the offseason, half of them kept practicing on the court, and half of them went through a mental training regiment program. When they went into full practice and preparation for the full season, they then did a before and after measure of free throw shots and saw who would improve the most. Between those who actually practiced in the gym, put in the hard work, sweat, and tears to throw free throws versus those that only practiced in their mind, guess who got better at the free throws? I'm assuming it's the people that practice in their mind. It's the people that practice in your mind because in your mind, you can't F up. In your mind, you make the shot every single time. In reality, you don't make the shot every single time. So every athlete performing at a high level that I've ever interviewed always has some type of psychological programming. And if you even take a look at Mike Tyson, when I interviewed, I was in the room as Mike Tyson was sharing how it is that he had 42 knockouts out of 44 fights. And that dude, he was psychologically trained to be a destroyer. He was trained and he told himself, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. It wasn't, I'm going to beat you. It wasn't, I'm the stronger fighter. It's, I will kill you. That was what Mike Tyson's coach as a 13-year-old put in his head, right? And he was lethal in the ring. My question is for the young entrepreneur, what is your mental training? The answer, most don't have one. So what I would recommend you do is I'd spend no less than 10 or 15 minutes a day reciting mantras of language. And it would sound something like this. I love my life. Everything goes my way. I love entrepreneurship. I'm new to it and I'm getting such a great start at it and I'm really good at it. I love putting in the work that produces the outcome and I'm really good at solving for the problem instead of the symptom. I work hard. I get the result. You know, dot, 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 dot. It's all this positive energy. That is mental training like an Olympian athlete. And in my world, I've been doing that training for almost two decades. And hands down, if you're like, geez, Chris, like your win rate is off the charts crazy. How'd you get there? I'm like, well, It's the mental training. And I spend 30 to 60 minutes a day in mental training in my meditation. And so, yes, am I kind to myself? I have a rule. I'll never be mean to myself. I'll never self-deprecate. I'll never say anything that would cause me to to lose belief in myself. 
Because what is faith? Well, it's an expression of how you believe in yourself. So that's the mental training. The practical training that I would give for the young entrepreneur is instead of doing what most do, which is like, let's just figure it out. I'm like, no, go get a mentor. Go find someone that has a system and has figured out. For example, young entrepreneur says, you know what? I'm not going to go with some high tech crazy idea. I'm going to do something old school. I'm going to mow lawns. And my goal is to knock doors in these neighborhoods and see if I can get a hundred people to say yes to my mowing services. And then I'm going to go find younger teens and I'm going to pay them to just mow these lawns and I'll be their manager and they'll do the work. And so he could go out and do this or she could go out and do this or go find a seasoned lawn care owner and first pick their brain for three hours. How do you sell at the door? What's the script that you use? What neighborhoods do you target? What's your pricing model look like? How do you hire the people that are going to do the work for you? How do you do quality control? And by getting a mentor that can give you that three hours with them will probably save you three months of oopses of like, I was making it up. I'm like, don't make it up. Yeah. Don't make it up. Someone, don't reinvent the wheel. I promise you this one's been done before. And so get a mentor. Anytime in life you have an opportunity to get a mentor, it will always be a shortcut. Love that. Chris, wrapping up here, tell us a little bit about where people can find you, what you're working on, and how you can help the listeners build wealth. You know, a couple of things. So I put on very, very special events, and they're pretty expensive to go to. I've got actually a free ticket for you if you're listening. My events are generally three and four days long. And what we do is it is one half of it is just hardcore financial roadmap. I believe I can help anyone be on the track to becoming a billionaire. The other half of the event is mental fortitude training. And it's teaching emotional intelligence and it's teaching you the woo-woo superpowers of how to think like a billionaire instead of just acting like one. And if you'd like to claim a free ticket or get one of my books for free, you can go to freewealthgift.com forward slash Allen freewealthgift.com forward slash Alan, and you can find all of those gifts there. And my sincere hope, if you enjoyed today's interview, that one of those tools will be useful for helping you self-actualize at a higher level and, and live a more successful life. Love it. Hey, for the listener, just pay attention to how Chris talks about himself, the energy that he brings. You can feel it. You can feel it through your AirPods or your speakers, whatever, however you're listening to this. You can feel that. It's that type of energy, that type of focus, that type of self-treatment that makes success in any area of your life, spiritual, family, financial, social, physical, mental, any area of your life, it makes it inevitable. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Welcome Pleasure. On. I look forward to a long friendship with you. Anything I can do for you, make sure to reach out and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Alan. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.